but yeah, they're but they're also connected in their names, and they're really connected in their names. Yes, in that that Eli part, the God part, right, is connected. But Jesus brings their names together, and I think we talked about this before. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, you know that. So what you have is Eli, Yah, right? God is Yahweh. Yeah, God right? is Yahweh. Eli right? And then you have Eli Shua, right? God, God saves. saves. Right. Now you take the, the common components and you move them out of the way and you bring together the distinct components. Mm-hmm. Yah, Shua, mm-hmm. Yeshua. Mm-hmm. Yahweh saves. Yeah. So now that it's now that it's established, Yahweh is God. God saves. Then someone comes, right? and he has to have this name. Mm-hmm. This name's been waiting for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Remember, we talked about here is the man. Here is the one. His name is the branch. His name is Yeshua. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so these this prophetic ministry is brought together because that had to be tandem. They couldn't be in one person. It, they tend to pollute one another, mm-hmm. right? Only in the one who comes as the beloved son who is going to die and rise again can we find the marriage, this one man holding this double office, this double ministry, prophetic ministry. Welcome, everyone, to the Faith Recovery Podcast. We are trying to recover faith. Mm by recovering the faith, and we're exploring the Bible for the faith. We're in an Old Testament series called According to Scripture. Yeah, still. Uh, Yep, still going. This is where we live. And uh, today's topic is the two witnesses, Mm -hmm. Elijah and Elisha, as tandem prophets pointing to Christ. Mm -hmm. Scripture seems to indicate that we are to consider the ministries of Elijah and Elisha together, and that we should relate them to the ministry of Christ. The meanings of their names and their ministries point to two aspects of God's character that come together only in Christ. All right. Hey. That's what we're doing today. There you go. You can tune out now. Let's dive in. <laughs> Elijah and Elisha. Yes. I tend to get those two guys mixed up. I haven't gone back and read those stories recently, so mm-hmm. I think probably they blend together in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Elijah was a Tishbite, so maybe that helps. <laughs> <laughs> Elijah right. the Tishbite from Tishbe yeah. in Gilead. Right, he was, I guess, <laughs> that makes you a Tishbite, I guess, whatever Tishbite is. I did. I do remember reading back, uh, oh, years ago, the their stories and thinking, wow, they do stand out as quite similar to Christ. Yeah. Uh, the miracles they perform, I guess, is what it is. Uh-huh. They're just they. There's there's a striking similarity. Right. Yeah, there are. And, you know, I I guess there's a reason for that. You know, Jesus, we we made a big deal out of Jesus being the uh, king and the priest, and he is, uh, but he also came as prophet and in a prophetic ministry. And so we get that um, a lot in the Gospels, Uh, Luke, and we're going to spend a lot of time in, in Luke 9 today. There's a lot of Elijah, Elisha references in Luke 9. Hmm. Um but before that, hey, can I ask a yeah, question? Sure. You 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 mentioned this from time to time, the offices of Christ as prophet, priest, and king, and mm-hmm. I've I've picked up on that over the years. I understand that to be sort of theological categories that um, 
come down to us through church history. Yeah. And um, it, can you maybe give us a little bit of background in, on that idea? Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. Um, where does that idea come from? How is that helpful? And is there more to it than that? Like, is that just, do you have any, is there a fourth one uh, would, that you would suggest? Or does that, come, does that, yeah. is that a good summary? I can't think of a fourth office. These are three anointings, um, you know, as, and, and we'll see Elijah kind of reaches the end of his tether in this story and he's ready to give up. If you remember all that, he's kind of like, you know, hey, like a lot of us are at our job, you know, I'm just done with this. I've had enough. You won't have me to kick around anymore. You know, he's, he's just sick of it. Right. Um, and uh, he God tells him, well, I want you to go and appoint your you know, appoint some people. Uh-huh. Um, and those the three offices that he has uh, Elijah go and, and anoint for are um, prophet, priest and king or yeah. So anoint Jehu, anoint, I think it was, oh, I can't remember, Zadok maybe, anoint, um, and then Elisha, right? Choose, I, I guess Elisha wasn't anointed, but he, you know, he's chosen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are the three offices in Israel. Mm-hmm. So I guess we have a, a tripartite government here in America, uh-huh. right? Uh, we don't have the prophetic, but they, you know, they did. And, and these are checks and balances, Um you know, the prophets would get up in the the king's grill. They would advise the king, you know, should we go into battle? Are we going to be successful? Um, you know, the Lord's unpleased with you and all this. So um, the prophets were, were an accountability factor. Jesus is kind of the, you know, the zenith of all of those offices and that you know, he is the prophet. He's not just a prophet. He's the one to come who um, was going to be the successor of Moses, as we talked about. You know, Moses is kind of this premier revelator of God's will, the lawgiver, right? Mm-hmm. He's not just, he's not like the other prophets who come and kind of remind Israel of things. Here's mm-hmm. somebody who's telling people, New stuff, you know, mm-hmm. the will of God, you know, he's, he's really forming the nation. Um, it's very much a, a foundational kind of a role. And so Moses in Deuteronomy 18 says, there's going to come another prophet like me. Um, well, there were a lot of prophets that came and even, uh, it seems that Deuteronomy's written somewhat in retrospect because it's like, even to this day, there's never been a prophet like Moses, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, we're left knowing that he hadn't come yet. This prophet, like, um, likened to Moses, had not arrived, um, and so there's a prophet. He's the premier prophet that's coming. Um, he is also this priest, as you know. In, in Revelation, we see Jesus in this exalted state, and the author of the Hebrew letter makes a, a big deal out of Melchizedek, the Melchizedek priesthood, and and for the author of Hebrews, he's saying. To be in the Levitical priesthood, you've got to be related to the Levites, right? You've got to descend from there. To be in the Melchizedek priesthood, you have to um, have eternal life, <laughs> you know, and uh, because he, you know, he, he points out Melchizedek yeah. and the Melchizedek story. I mean, we assume Melchizedek lived and died and all that, but according to the author of Hebrews, he's just appeared from nowhere, mm-hmm. and his death isn't recorded, and so mm-hmm. there's this 
sense that uh, whoever that is doesn't trace a lineage, mm -hmm. you know, from a human ancestor, nor does he have a successor. Uh, mm -hmm. And so that kind of a priest mm -hmm. is what Jesus comes as. Um, and then obviously he's the king, the king of kings, whatever. You know, there's a lot of, and we talked about how mm -hmm. he's the son of man ascended. So he, he holds those offices. Uh, he appears to John. I, I love the way he appears. You know, he appears in Revelation with, he's standing among the lampstands. Um, he's got this um, linen garment on um, and you know it, there are priestly elements to the way he appears and there are kingly elements and he so he's wearing all of these together mm -hmm. he's united these from his heavenly place so yeah Jesus is all of these things and these are the offices that apparently we need you know mm -hmm. Israel seems to prefigure our need for those mm -hmm. um, and yet he is in the place of all of those like you know, I, I think people have the prophetic gifting today, but nobody's coming as, you know, lawgiver, revelator. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the one. You know, mm -hmm. he doesn't. He hasn't passed that office on. Mm -hmm. um, everything that we would do or say or receive from God is in that is in the vein of the gospel. It must um, come forth from it. It must refer back to it. If it's some sort of a, a litany of, of rules or insights that are not consonant with the gospel, then we tell that person to take a hike. That's mm -hmm. um, the author of the letter to the Hebrews says, you know, God who in previous times and in various ways spoke to our forefathers has in these days spoken to us by his son. Mm -hmm. So Jesus is, is the prophet, um, hasn't passed that on. Uh, just saying that to preclude any Latter-day <laughs> revelation, and that should have already been known. I, I don't know how that ever came about, that anybody ever accepted somebody after Jesus came, but, you know, the devil's wily, and uh, he does his things. So, at any rate, uh, Elijah and Elisha are kind of seen by, you know, the Jews, especially by the time Jesus comes, they're looking for Elijah to return, mm -hmm. you know. And Jesus says it's that he's John the Baptist and all that. But um, what their ministries reveal in tandem, and um, that's what I want to focus on, is not just their individual ministries, but how their ministries are uh, a unit. Okay. Um, and how that is brought together in, in Christ and in, Je in Jesus. So Okay. Yeah, that's where we're going. Um, I think what would be good is to maybe contrast their ministries. Um, they, uh, there are some similarities between what they did, uh, their their ministries, and there are some differences. Yeah. So you remember Elijah? What did he do? What was his What was his big moment? Do you remember that? The chariot of fire. Oh, that. Was oh, big. the yeah. prophets of Baal, of course. Yes. Yeah. 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 Right. The altar calling down fire. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So that was a big deal. Um, and the funny thing about it is, is that they, uh, they seem to get the point. So, so in uh, 1 Kings 18 is where we get the story about Elijah and the prophets of Baal, right? And they do all their, their stuff. And you remember how they were, you know, he's like, well, let's, let's set up a, a test and 
you'll set up your altar, you'll prepare right. your sacrifice, and whichever God responds with fire. Yeah, we're going to see which one is God. Is God, God right? right? Yeah. If, if Baal responds with fire, he is God. If Yahweh responds with fire, he is God. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and so you want to read 36 through 40 of First Kings 18. All right. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. Okay, I just like to keep all the bloodshed mm-hmm. in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, there's this... Uh, this cry, right? The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And that's the refrain, right? Elijah stepped forward, Lord, show them that you are God. Okay. Um, And that is what the name Elijah means, right? The Lord is God. Yahweh is God. Elijah. Yah. Yeah. Yah is Yahweh. Right. El is God. Right. Elijah. I don't remember exactly, but it's something like that. Something like that. Right. So his name is this chant, right? The Lord, he is God. They get it. His name is his ministry. Mm-hmm. That's what he's come to teach Israel. Yeah. And so that's kind of a, a big deal. Um, remember Elijah, he's toast and he's supposed to appoint his successor. And, and so he appoints uh, Elisha and then he's supposed to go and, and leave. Right. And so he's supposed to go up in this whirlwind um, and then a light. Shah is left to do the work. And so Elisha, and we're gonna get we're gonna tell these stories a bit out of order today. So just okay. warning you. Uh, but I want to first, rather than telling their stories chronologically, I want to compare, I want to lay their ministries next to each other. Okay. So you have this great moment. Really, if you look at, at Elijah's life, there aren't that many miracles, just that one big kapow. I mean, there's the hey, it's not gonna rain, and then it rained. That was that was pretty dramatic, right? Yeah. Uh, and then there's this contest with the prophets of Baal. Uh, the only other things we get are his, his private dealings with the widow of Zarephath. Okay, that she's, you know, the oil and the, and the uh, flour, they never run out, um, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that, but Elijah really is it's a very public, you know, kind of almost political, national level mm-hmm. um, movement there mm-hmm. that's happening. And it's also... Uh, big, you know, acts of power, uh, judgment. So he's like the Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He's maybe got a very like public, X. Yeah. maybe more like Malcolm X. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's got a very public ministry, yeah. call, uh, speaking truth to power. Right, but it's not just it's not a peaceful one. Mm-hmm. It's a it's dramatic. There's mm-hmm. fire. There's blood. Mm-hmm. You know, there's famine and and uh, starvation and you know national suffering because mm-hmm. of Elijah's ministry. Okay. Yeah. So that's 
I just want to give you that kind of backdrop. And now let's look at Elisha. Elisha's coming and he's got twice the portion of Elijah's spirit. Wow. Man, what's he going to do? Okay. So uh, read uh, 2 Kings uh, 2, 19 through, I guess, 21. The people of the city said to Elisha, Look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, he said, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, This is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word Elisha had spoken. Okay. So... So your point is that he's got a healing yeah. ministry, like he's got a, a, a positive uh, right. healing yeah. influence versus like a prophetic judgment kind of influence. Right, yeah, where uh, Elijah had had stricken the land with drought. You know, here's uh, Elisha coming and making the land productive. Okay. You know, Mm -hmm. um, and and really, Elijah's ministry is at the initiating of God. Like, you know, God's the one who decides what's going to happen. Or Elijah under God's direction. Right. People aren't like, hey, Elijah, I've been wondering if the Lord is God. I was wondering if you could come and do some sort of a contest. You know, people don't ask Elijah to do the things he's doing. You know, Ahab's mm-hmm. not like, oh, yeah, well, why don't we decide this once and for all and you make it not rain for three years? Mm-hmm. You know, he's like he comes to Ahab and says it's not going to rain at, but except at my word. And um, and so there's a, a very top down. Elijah's works are, are very top down, whereas Elisha, he's always um handling these little requests, hmm. you know, because these people are like, you know, we could move, but look how nicely situated this is. Mm-hmm. You know? Is this what you could do for us here? Right, right, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like the whole land is, you know, being destroyed and the people are backed into a corner. They're just like, you know, look at this view. It would just be great if this well were better, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I mean, obviously, they couldn't have lived there very long. I mean, you can't live in a place where you can't grow crops. So mm-hmm. it's it's just like they moved in and they're just like, the views here, here is great, but the water's bad. If you could just fix that, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. You know, very pedestrian, quiet, not a not a whole lot of flash in the head, right? Um, so in Second Kings four, we get another instance, and and by the way, there are a lot of these little vignettes in Elisha's ministry. So Second Kings four thirty eight through forty one. Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in that region. While the company of the prophets was meeting with him, he said to his servant, "Put on the large pot and cook some stew for these prophets." One of them went out into the fields to gather herbs and found a wild vine and picked as many of its gourds as his garment could hold. When he returned, he cut them up into the pot of stew, though no one knew what they were. The stew was poured out for the men, but as they began to eat it, they cried out, Man of God, there is death in the pot, and they could not eat it. Elisha said, Get some flour. He put it into the pot and said, Serve it to the people to eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. Okay. (laughs) A little little Gordon Ramsay there, right? Uh You know, just making it, making some nice stew out of that, you know, those bad gourds. Uh-huh. Okay, that's sweet. What a sweet guy, right? Uh, and then uh, here's, there's some others, but this is one I, I like particularly. Uh, 2 Kings 6, 1 through 7. 
The company of the prophets said to Elisha, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place there for us to meet. And he said, Go. Then one of them said, Won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied, and he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh no, my lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. The man of God asked, Where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it. Okay. So it's just solving all these little problems. Right. <laughs> these little, yeah. These little nuisances. You know, He's so just, handy to have around. He is. Yeah. What a guy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you see the difference here, right? Uh-huh. You know, right. this is like, um, it, it's almost shocking how how almost unrelated that these ministries are. That uh, you know, Elijah's stuff. It's like you really don't want him coming to town. To be honest. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like if Elijah shows up, things are going to get bad, <laughs> you know. Um, People are going to die. Right. Yeah. It's just yeah. not good. He's he's just going to confront you with some stuff and it's going to be real unpleasant for everybody, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and But Elisha, you know, you definitely want him on the camping trip. Yeah. Right. Everybody's yeah, yeah. like, let's go camping. And it's just like, hey, let's remember to take Elisha in case we forgot something, you know. Right. <laughs> in case something bad happens, he'll be there, you know. Um, he's, he's just real handy. He's uh-huh. a real handy guy to have around. Yeah. yeah? Um, so Elisha's ministry is very different. His name, it, you know, and I think we've mentioned this on previous podcasts, but, uh, his name doesn't mean Yahweh is God. He, his name means God saves. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, whereas Elijah is kind of, uh, you know, he's foreboding. He, he's a reminder that you don't trifle with God. Mm-hmm. It's fire and blood, mm-hmm. you know, um, and and yet having having come to that knowledge, um, we need to also know because I mean, really, honestly, this God who can send fire from heaven, right? Mm-hmm. Who can make it stop raining for three stinking years mm-hmm. and then rain again and then you know. This fireball comes down. I mean, you're talking about nuclear radiation, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, it's just it's just drying up all the water. It, you know, it is melting the rocks and the dirt. I mean, this God is a consuming fire. He is not to be trifled with, mm-hmm. right? Um, are are you going to come to that God and be like, you know, um, this food is it's just a little off. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's, it's missing something, Lord. You know, what do you, what do you think it is? It's just, you know, um, mm-hmm. the, the, these kinds of things, they're almost like these requests are, are just, they're audacious in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, well, don't eat it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, find something else, you know. Uh, I mean, all of these things, these problems, you they could have solved on their own, mm-hmm. you know. Well, you know where it is. It didn't go far, that axe head, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, just get in there <laughs> and dig around there. for it. It'll take you half a day, yeah, but you'll yeah, find yeah. it. If it's really important to you, just get in there and get it, mm-hmm. you know. None of that stuff, none of this needs divine intervention, you know. None of this stuff Elisha's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do, how do we understand that, right? How do we go to this one who has all this incredible power, you know, just answers from heaven, you know, who's 
call honestly is for the mass slaughter of these you know these false prophets of Baal mm-hmm. you know I mean if you're in his presence you're thinking did I do something did I you know did I remember to pray today I mean you really start getting nervous right because mm-hmm. this guy is not you know is not like a well you know interrogate him ask him you know give him a chance to repent maybe they were confused it's just like now you're toast <laughs> you know there's no playing around here no mm-hmm. second chances so uh, I just I want to contrast them, and, and I think there's a reason that we need to do that. Because those are, and, and we've mentioned this, I, I think, like with the Abraham sacrificing Isaac story, mm-hmm. that God, that Yahweh is God, we have to get this notion, right? That comes first. Yeah. Yahweh is God. Right. If we don't know that, there's no point in the rest of it. But also, our tendency is, let's just, just say, I'll put this to you. Uh, uh, what if we'd started with Elisha? Yahweh saves. Yeah. What if we start with that? With his ministry. Yeah, with his ministry. He comes on the scene and he's, you know, he's, he's helping people make their beach home. We might be too, we might be too comfortable with uh, the prophet, too comfortable with God. We mm-hmm. might get to think that he's at our beck and call. He's like... He's uh, he's like the vending machine god, you know. Yeah. And just whatever I want, just pop in a quarter, and out it comes. I'll pop in six quarters. Yeah. And, and, and out it comes, you know. Yeah, yeah. He's the cosmic butler. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I mean, people treat God that way. Yeah. And you know, so in American cultures, uh, you know, here in America, we we have this egalitarian sense. We don't have the sense of, of great reverence or deference for somebody who is at a higher station. And there's good things about that. I understand that. You know, we as humans are relatively the same, right? You know, we have, there's very little difference between the greatest human of all time and the worst one, right? Mm-hmm. Really in, in the grand scheme. So that makes sense, right? But if we're talking about some something um, that is, you know, unfathomable, right? That is inconceivable, that is absolute, that is entirely other. Um, something that we can't even, we can have words for, but really at the end of it, our word, our final word is, is something like holy, which means we don't know. I mean, we can't, mm-hmm. we're out, we're out of words. Holy other. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We're just done. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the word holy just means, you know, it's this infinite ellipsis, you know, Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Like we are, we're out of modifiers. There's no, Uh there's nothing, you know, uh, because we're, everything we would use would somehow be, you know, insufficient. Mm -hmm. And so we're just left with this word that itself has to become holy in that it's um, set apart. It's unfortunate we use it for lots of other, you know, things, but it's I, the idea of it is that it's not a word that you use all the time about everything because it's separate, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's referring to something that can't be described. Mm-hmm. So all that to say is that if we lose that sense, we've already begun to slide away from the one who is God. Mm-hmm. And we've really gotten more into a transactional pagan mentality before we've even started. And so that's why Elijah has to come first. I think that's why there are 39 books that are primarily about God's justice and wrath and 27 that are more about his grace in our Bibles. Um, 
you know, like the book of Isaiah just happens to be divided, you know, 66 books, 39 of wrath and judgment, 27 of God's justice, I mean, God's mercy and grace, roughly, you know, they bleed over Mm -hmm. uh, onto each other here and there, but roughly that's the emphasis. Mm -hmm. We can't miss that. Um, It's just, it's critical. And yet, if we only have one, so if we only knew that Yahweh, he is God, right? Coming out of that Mount Carmel moment, um, I, you know, those people are not, I, I probably, they're more reluctant to just call on God for little things, you know? Um, and yet here, you know, here is this, this God who, you know, fixes the water at your, you know, in your beach house and he, you know, makes your food taste better and he, or, you know, whatever, fixes your stew. and Helps you find your lost wedding ring. Yeah. You know. Have you known people to pray yeah. that? Oh, right. Yeah. Or, you know, absolutely. And, yeah. um, you know, you, you're, you're in a bind, you're in a hurry, and you're praying for a, a, a good parking place at Walmart. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, you, and lo and behold, you get one. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And, and is that wrong? You know, would, is that somehow um, insulting to God? I mean, it would be. Let, let's just say that you, um, let's say you live in the UK, okay? And um, you, you see that your electric bill is $50 higher than it was last month. Mm-hmm. And, and you're like, man, this just can't continue, right? And so you go to Buckingham Palace. (laughs) (laughs) Are you, one, going to be let in? Two, going to be heard? Uh You know, is any Uh of that going to happen? Right. Obviously not. Right. (laughs) Right. It's just that it's just, it's ridiculous to think about. Right. You know, it's just laughable. Uh Uh-huh. Um, and, and so we really, you know, uh, we might, in the UK, we would say, uh, they would say, God save the king. Mm-hmm. But they don't say, king save us. Right? Mm-hmm. It's not his job. He just, he doesn't have time for you. <laughs> right? He's not going to say, he's not going to save you from a high electric bill. Uh-huh. You know? Um, he, and on a national level, he, I, I, he doesn't obviously control a whole lot of legislation of the lifestyle of people. But if he did, mm-hmm. you know. He's not going to save you as an individual from some discomfort or mm-hmm. inconvenience mm-hmm. or embarrassment. Right. Right? Not going to do it. And and part of that, the reason for that is, is his station, that it's almost, it would be demeaning, mm-hmm. you know, for us to assume that, you know, we, we, we couldn't, uh, that could not be provided without somehow demeaning or, you know, or discounting his office and his station. Yeah. And so, um, and yet we have to, we have to have a God who is both. Otherwise, uh, we, we create our own folk religion because there are things that are beyond us every day, little things that are beyond us all day long. And, um, that we need God's help with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it leaves a spiritual vacuum. If God is not there for us in the little things, um, that leaves a, a vacuum that we begin to, uh, I, what I've seen is in cultures that, um, you know, have a very, a, a notion of God who is this judge on high, right? Uh, so Muslim cultures, and I don't want to pick on anybody, but I also don't want to shy away from stuff. You know, Muslim cultures are, are largely, you know, they have a sense that 
that their God is holy, mm-hmm. that he is not to be trifled with, mm-hmm. you know, that he can expect you to blow yourself up or whatever. Mm-hmm. Not all. Well, I'm sure they would all say, yes, he, he could expect of that of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether they would all say, yes, he will, I, I'm sure they don't. But that he has the right to expect that, I think, is a part of what it means for him to be what he is. Mm-hmm. Okay? And, but Muslim prayers are not bringing God your hurts and your pains and the little things in your life. Mm-hmm. They are prescripted, um, recited as a part of a, a reverence of giving your time to him. It's a sacrifice. Prayer is something you give to Allah, not something that you seek from Allah. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I've noticed is, is in Muslim cultures that there's a lot of room for superstition. Okay. Uh, and a the fear daily of life. the evil eye. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. So people are on their own against the spiritual forces arrayed against them. Um, and so you'd, you know, you'd better sow a little talisman some verses of the Quran on the inside of your coat, mm-hmm. right? That, that there's a lot of, of just superstitious behavior to try to protect you from the unseen uh, things you can't account for. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that that's what happens when you just see the, that you're worshiping some infinite being, um, but you don't understand or you can't possibly conceive of him as one who will help you find your keys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that leaves a vacuum. So we either despise God or we stay away from him. You know, uh, we, we find alternatives to his involvement in our life. Um, and, and so we need both of these have to go together. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, you mentioned that we either despise God or we find alternatives to his, his involvement in our yeah. life. And so the, let's talk about despising God, because I think something that we've been talking about off and on in our podcast is that if we don't keep the reverence for God, if we don't keep the transcendence of God, if we only look for at the approachable God that we see in Jesus, then we ultimately despise God. Yeah. Um, how, how is that the case? I think people today don't understand that and are more inclined to say something along the lines of, not sure about that God in the Old Testament. Thank God for Jesus who corrects that view. Yeah that we have in the Old Testament. There's definitely a more of a tendency to just sort of replace yeah. the transcendent God with the approachable God. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and that's what that's where we're going. Okay, that's can where I, we're going. Can I put a pin in it? Put that? a pin in it. Drop and, a pin. And we'll do it, yeah. Uh, so all that to say is both of those messages are critical and that the God as... You know, the Elijah ministry has to come first, I think, because we have this tendency to discount God is maybe our, our earliest and our and our most native tendency is to despise him in some way. And so we have to learn first that he is God, and then we can move on, right? Okay. Uh, that we have this idolatrous, like we talked about last time, we have this idolatrous drive that we tend to, to go into, okay? So... Here's what I'm going to do. Uh, when we find a word or a concept that is repeated in um, a passage of Scripture, especially one that is um, a tautology, <laughs> something that's unnecessary, uh, almost a redundance, uh, then I think we need to stop and just take note. Okay. okay? So that's, that's what I want us to do uh, in this 2 Kings chapter 2. Oh, let's go... Verse six, maybe. Uh, so Elijah is about to leave, and um, 
I guess we'll back up to five and I don't know. I'll just say stop. You want to just read until I say stop? Sure. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied. So be quiet. (laughs) Then Elijah, Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel! And Elisha saw him no more, then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Look, they said, we, your servants, have 50 able men. Let them go and look for your master. Okay, let's stop there. All right, all right. (laughs) I've got that one for later. I'm going to hold on to that one. Okay. Okay, so through this passage, you might not have noticed just a, you know, a first reading, um, but there is this prevalence of um, a concept. And the concept is of um, something in tandem. Okay? So it says the two of them walked on. Okay, but this isn't the number two. It's the exact same word that's used where Elisha says, let me have a double portion of your spirit. Okay. It's a a redundant, it's sometimes even translated 12, because the word is is like um, two double, (laughs) two pair or something like that, that it's a... Um, it's, it's almost redundant. It backs up on itself. It, it in and of itself is a redoubled expression of the concept of two. Okay. Okay. So it says that the, the, the pair or the double, uh, of them went on and then it struck the water and this water is, you know, the word for divided here is a very specific word. You wouldn't use it to say, uh, divide the pie. Okay. Because, uh, you know, you would if you meant in cut in half, but you wouldn't if you meant to split it up into various pieces so a bunch of people could eat it. That this word divided, it was, it halved the water. Okay. Okay. Um, and so we go on and, you know, and, and it says the two, the double of them crossed over to the, together. Give me a double portion of your spirit, and you'll see that I'm taken from you. Uh, they're walking along suddenly and, and separated the double of them. Mm-hmm. Elijah went up. Elisha, you know, continued on, and then he tore it in 
Double. two, right? Uh, and then he goes on and, and he hits it and the water is split in half. Uh, yeah, and so there's this concept throughout at this transition moment, um, Elijah and Elisha are tandem, okay? And, and I think we're supposed to see that even as Elijah is taken up into heaven, that the prophets recognize that this is the spirit of Elijah on Elisha, that, that they are still connected. And, and so I would contend that this is a signal in scripture that we are supposed to see these together, that together they make a whole picture. That Elijah, uh, Yahweh is God, pairs with Yahweh saves. Yeah, God saves. Yahweh is God and God saves, mm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, and that those are two halves of one message. Mm -hmm. Okay, just as the Jordan, you know, it, and, and that there needs to be a partition. Okay, and, and really, I think that's what's being seen. So they aren't blended together. They don't overlap. They're separate and yet connected ministries. Does that, does that kind of track? Mm -hmm. Okay, so, uh, and, and the reason for that is, and just like we had talked about with Abraham sacrificing Isaac, how that there is this pivot point where Yahweh is talking about Elohim. Right now, I know that you fear God, mm -hmm. you know, because you've not withheld from me, and so that there is this this pivot point, and yet the concepts are kept apart, and you have so you have four mentions of Elohim in Genesis twenty two one through nine, that you have, and then you have four mentions of Yahweh in Genesis uh, twelve, I think, through sixteen. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, that those are, and they're kept separate across this divide, mm -hmm. right? And, and so it is with Elijah and Elisha that, they, that we have to consider these uh, separate from one another or they will kind of uh, blend over and, and diminish and discount. We have to get the full weight of God's holiness un, unmixed with his mercy before we can really grasp and begin to attend to his love and his mercy and his kindness, mm -hmm. okay? because they tend to pollute one another, right? Um, so uh, that's, I think that's what we're being told, although Elisha's got some, you know, there's some wrathfulness, you know, famously as he calls this bear to you know, the she bears, mm -hmm. but even then he's, <laughs> he's doing it for himself. <laughs> you know? uh -huh. Even then God is there to just defend his honor and not so much about his own personal you know, God's at Elisha's beck and call for Elisha's sake. Um, and so we see that um, difference and that distinction. Whereas Elijah really kind of faces it, right? He goes through it for God's sake. Mm -hmm. um, and so their ministries are, are very different. But um, they have one miracle in common. So as, as different as they are, there's one miracle that they both perform. The parting of the waters. Well, no, no yes, yes. Okay, those are two. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and really, though, what you see in them, I mean, Jesus has this moment, right, where he goes across the Jordan, right? He, he's under the law, born of a woman, born under the law, crosses the Jordan, goes into the wilderness, Right? He comes back in the spirit of power, right? 
and and now he's proclaiming the kingdom of God and and God's mercy, right? So even there, there's some similarities. But uh, the the one miracle I think that he does that they both do for somebody else, or you know, uh, I would say that the parting of the waters like a, is a sign. There's certainly continuity, and I think that's there to keep to keep them connected. There mm-hmm. that there is a pivot point, mm-hmm. right? That they're they're not completely partitioned; that they are connected by uh, linkage, mm-hmm. right? But but and that's the, what demonstrated that the spirit of Elijah was on Elisha, right? Right. Mm-hmm. But I think that the um, the miracle that they really have in common that they do for others is the raising of a beloved only son. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so you know uh, when Elijah goes to the widow of Zarephath, he's staying in her house, and the boy dies, and Elijah raises. The boy from the dead, mm-hmm. right? And then uh, Elisha had this woman that that had a um, room set aside for him when he was traveling through the Shunammite, mm-hmm. and he really grants her a child, I guess you know, by God's power, um, in exchange for her kindness. And but then that child dies, and so. But and Elisha hears of it and raises him very similarly to Elijah the way he does. Mm-hmm. So, the, I, I think that that's the continuity between them is this this resurrection power, this resurrection of a specifically a beloved only son. Um, and and I think that that's a signal for us to say, hey, there's there's something big coming. There's something that brings this together. Um, the severity of God and the kindness of God comes through this resurrection. Because in both cases, the women feel like is their unworth, right? It's, their, it's God's holiness, their sin, their unworth, that is the reason why the boy died. You know, the widow of Zarephath's like, you know, I, I knew I didn't want you to come to my house. You know, I'm not worthy to have you here. And now my son's dead, mm-hmm. you know, and the Shunammite is like, don't offer me this kid. You know, I just can't, you know, first when Elisha says, hey, you know, you're going to have a, a kid. And she's like, no, that's too much. I don't want that. I don't want that kind of hope, mm. you know, and then he dies. And she's like, see, this is why I didn't want that. Mm. I didn't want that kind of hope in my life. Um, so telling, right? And, and so there is this acknowledgement. I think in the, in the death is this acknowledgement of, of the fall and the pain that's in this world. And a lot of it is due to sin and uh, just a broken society and, and our experience. But there's also this greater hope that comes. So they're connected in that way, both in, in, their, in this transition moment they're connected but they're also connected in, in kind of the zenith of their individual ministries as a resurrection of a beloved only son. Um, and, and so only through the cross do we fully, you know, we see the extent of God's holiness, his wrath, his justice. And, and we can't lose sight of that or, or we let go of that Elijah ministry. You know, we lose this Yahweh, he is God moment. And we begin to despise him uh, in a lot of ways. That that it, I, I think that there's a great price to be paid if we don't see. Back to your question about we see that God of the Old Testament is wrath, God of the New Testament is pleasant. You know, you can't look at the cross. This is brutal, cruel torture. Okay, this is death. 
and shame. Um, it to look at at a man being tortured to death by God's decree mm-hmm. and think somehow God has forgotten to be wrathful over sin, you know, is just to me it's it's just illogical. It's irrational. You have to do so many mental gymnastics. I don't have the the mental faculties to even contort that way. You know, I, I think that he, and we've mentioned that before, like with the serpent put up on the pole, mm-hmm. that there is supposed to be this ensign held up over human history, casting a shadow and a pall over our sin. If we can look at that and not see the ugliness and miss the ugliness of our sin, we've missed the point. Mm-hmm. But in that same moment, there's this salvation that's offered, you know, and so there's a there's a unity that comes in Christ, and so that's the the beauty of it. Uh, we could talk about so many other similarities uh, between these guys' ministries and how Jesus' ministry touches on um, all of them, you know, to some degree. But that's the that's the big one that he is he brings that together and his name is a combination of those two. So what do you make of that? That that his name is a combination. Am I making that up? What do you think? <laughs> well, you're not making it up. You're, yeah. you're making an observation. Yeah. Sure is interesting. Yeah. It sure doesn't seem to be coincidental. Not to me. Yeah. I mean, the idea that Joshua, that Yeshua is the successor of Moses. He's the one who lives in the tent. You know, he's the, and now Jesus comes as the prophet likened to Moses. Right? Mm-hmm. We know that Joshua wasn't that one. Joshua, the son of Nun, wasn't because scripture says there hasn't been a prophet like Moses come. Mm-hmm. And that was at least easily within this, you know, Joshua, the son of Nun, is easily in the scope. He's precluded by that, okay? And then we see in, in Zechariah 6, here's the man whose name is the branch, and he will come and he will branch out from here, and there will be a priest on his throne. Who is this, right? The angel of the Lord comes. He wrestles Jacob. Now tell me, Jacob, now tell me your name. Why do you ask? And he disappears. He comes and and. He announces the birth of Samson. Manoah says, all right, but tell us your name. So, you know, he's like, nah, it's too much. You won't get it. There's a secret name waiting, you know. We'll get all the way to Zechariah before we kind of get a hint at what's coming. And so Matthew 2, Luke 1, you're going to have a child. You're going to name him Jesus, Mm -hmm. Yeshua. You know, couldn't be any other name. Right. Yeah. Nothing's haphazard. It's not like we're making this story up, you know. As I would, if I were just sitting down to tell you a story, I'd be making it up as I go along, right? Um, and I certainly can't live three thousand years or whatever to tell a story that is connected, you know, at least fifteen hundred years in the in the telling, mm-hmm. you know, uh, allusions and and hints all along the way, as far back at least as Gen- as Genesis thirty two and. Jacob wrestling with God and this name being secret, mm-hmm. you know, that that foreshadowing is it began that that early, you know. Uh, man, I can't tell a story like that. Uh, whoever did this, 
if you don't believe in God, whoever it is, you got to believe in somebody that, you know, lives a few thousand years and controls everything. So you might as well call him God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, kind of foolish to, uh, to decide to posit something else. Um, I guess I, I want to do one little connection between these guys. Um, so Elijah and, um, oh, let's go to this one. I was, I was skipping. I said, hey, let's not do that yet. So let's go ahead and pick it up. In 2 Kings uh, 2, 16, uh, let's see, where do we go? Uh, okay, yeah, so they want to look for Elijah. This is, I love this. Uh, so 2 Kings um, 2, beginning of verse 16 through um, 18. Look, they said, we your servants have 50 able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha replied, do not send them. But they persisted until he was too embarrassed to refuse. So he said, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days but did not find him. When they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, didn't I tell you not to go? (laughs) I just love these little stories. They're so pedestrian. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So why do you think that they went to look for him? What what do you think their assumptions were about uh, what's their cosmology, right? Um, like because yeah. you mean because he had been lifted away yeah right so yeah. maybe we can go up high yeah and find him there right or maybe that there's only you know that that we're in a um a finite realm that there's a ceiling on this and we can't get past it mm-hmm. you know if somebody disappears well he obviously just relocated mm-hmm. right um and then so jesus makes this point in john uh chapter 7 verses 33 through 36 and i think he does it as an allusion to this moment. Okay. okay. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, and then I am going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? Yeah. So, number one, if you're a Mormon, this precludes the idea that Jesus flew over to the Americas after his resurrection. Okay, just want you to know that. <laughs> uh, number two, what's their operating system? If, you know, Jesus says, I'm going to go away, and they say, where, right? Mm-hmm. And this, so, one, one supposition is that he's going to go someplace else geographically. The other is, later on, he says, I, I think it's in chapter 12 he says you know i'm going away and they're like where is he going is he going to kill himself mm-hmm. so they think he's going to the grave but the thing is is that you know people can follow you if you go to the greeks mm-hmm. and they can follow you if you kill yourself right i mean as lots of cults leader mm-hmm. cult leaders mm-hmm. um that's not the problem it's when somebody disappears and they can't be found Now, if you go looking for them, what are you saying about your hope and your belief? It was in that person? Yeah. And you don't believe in anything beyond what you see here. Mm. Really, truly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If someone's not here, they're gone. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you can't find them, they're gone. They're Mm -hmm. just, they're dead. Right. Uh, I mean, you can find their body. But the fact that nobody could find Jesus' body, though they looked, right? If they looked for his body, that says that they don't believe in the resurrection. 
And if they don't believe in the resurrection, they can't go where Jesus went. Mm -hmm. Right? So that, that keeps them from going. But all that to say is that Jesus is really alluding to the story of Elijah. You know, Elijah is taken up to heaven. Uh, and I don't think he was brought to that final echelon, obviously, but, you know, he was taken away from this realm to another mm -hmm. bodily. But his spirit was sent to right. Elisha. Right. And I mean, I think it's just the Holy Spirit. The, the, and I, I don't mm -hmm. think it was the consciousness of right. Elijah, but right. yeah, exactly. But I was going, yeah. where I was going with that is yeah. Jesus went away, but sent his right. spirit. Of course. Yeah. And here we are with our little pedestrian ministries. Uh -huh. <laughs> but really, you know, we can do uh, and we ought to expect to continue Jesus' ministry, shouldn't we? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, that's a big part of it. I could point to a lot more similarities. If you look at the uh, Luke chapter 9, there's just one after another similarity. You know, the um, disciples, uh, like, so Elijah calls down fire from heaven to destroy these um, agents from Ahab that come to capture him. And and so the, the disciples are like, hey, should we do that too? And you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> Jesus is like, oh, you guys are idiots. Anyway, uh, and then there's, you know, there's just lots of similarities between Jesus' ministry and Elisha's ministry. We can at least tell the references for our listeners to go and yeah. read, read about it. Yeah, so 1 Kings uh, eighteen thirteen. Let me see what that one's about. Let me go ahead. And... Um, well, yeah. Oh, the feeding of the 5,000 uh, overlaps a lot with Elijah and Elisha. So in um, in 1 Kings 18, 13, there's a guy named uh, Obadiah, and, and he talks about feeding the um, prophets. There was 100 prophets that he hid in two caves, 50 each. So there's this idea of splitting people into hundreds and fifties. At the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus has all of the people gathered there split into hundreds into fifties. Hundreds and fifties, right? Mm, interesting. Uh, and then in actually, Elisha as um, has uh, an opportunity to feed a hundred prophets, right? And and he splits them into into two groups of fifty as well. And so, um, so in in Second Kings four, it says that you know a man uh, came from Baal Shalisha. Um, <laughs> Bringing the man of God 20 loaves of barley bread baked from, um, what is it, ripe grain with some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Hmm. Right. Um, and and how, how much is it? How could we split, give this to 100 people? Uh, you know, and he says, give it to them to eat. For the Lord says they will eat and have what? Some leftover. Hmm. You know, so here comes Jesus, you know, just as we see this dividing of people into 50s and being provided for, just as we see this feeding of 100 people with only 20 loaves. <laughs> you know, Jesus comes to do what, right? To feed 5,000 men. But he splits them into these, this, prof, this number of, of a prophetic platoon. <laughs> mm. You know, that these, he's really, I think, affirming the people who'd come out of the villages and towns to meet him in the wilderness and saying, you guys are part of the new prophetic ministry. Mm. You know, and and he's providing for them just as Elisha did, just as they were provided for um, in the days of Ahab. Maybe we can put the rest in the show notes. Yeah. We'll have to wrap it up there, guys. Yep. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And there will be some references in the show notes if you want to dig deeper. Uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah.